Welcome back. This is the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony, and I'm going to be joined by Conservative Joey. So happy that you're here joining us. If this is your first time, then thank you for being here. If, on the other hand, you are a dedicated and regular listener, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that you come and listen to each and every show. Hey, Joey, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Hey, Tony, thank you. And thank you for uh, not texting me at 12 or midnight my time saying if I'm ready to do a podcast. Yeah, I know. This is a good time for us. It's a weekend. My kids are asleep, and you're not asleep yet getting your, your beauty rest, so I think we can uh, probably crank one out here. Yeah, what I, what I don't like is every time I'm not on, you bring me up that I'm supposed to be on. But you're not mentioning that you're texting me at, at 12 p.m. midnight, tw- you know, 12 a.m. midnight. It's really starting to piss me off. Oh, did I, did I leave that part out? I forgot. I don't know. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> so, hey, I just, I looked up something today on Real Clear Politics, and I didn't realize this, but Warren has surged ahead of Bernie Sanders by, mm-hmm. it looks like, three points. So from what, yeah. I, what I can see here, the average, Real Clear Politics average, Joe Biden at 30.2 Warren at 19.8, Sanders at 16.6, and then there's pretty much nobody down until 6%. And at 6, you have Buttigieg and Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I said I thought was going to happen. I don't even remember, to be honest. Do you remember me saying that? Yeah, you're like Nostradamus. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I saw it coming just because of the debates, you know, that where Elizabeth Warren was sounding a lot like Bernie. And Bernie had already been coming off like more unlikable than he was last time to me. And I'm not being, uh, I'm trying to be unbiased about it. You know, I'm not even saying, oh, I hate Bernie or anything like that. But he just, he seemed more angry. And you weigh in the fact that he lost last time. And he, you know, I don't know. I think that she became more of the, the, what would you call it, like a radical uh, liberal kind of agenda candidate yeah i mean bernie's three debates so far are have all been the same he just it, it seems like he just comes out it yells at everybody screams, right, exactly he screams out a bunch of t- statistics at people and he w- wags his finger at the audience and at his you know people up on stage with him and and yeah i don't think that's uh sitting well with a lot of the uh a lot of the vote or at least people getting polled he yells about the one percent pretty much every time yeah it's the one percent of the one percent yeah, so it, he's just he's already lost, and he's just coming off kind of uh, angry and super super old. So you got someone younger who's also a female taking sort of his, his positions. So I, that's what I said last time. I believe I said that. So I, I saw her kind of coming up. Now, well, I don't know if she'll beat Biden, uh, but I think it's going to come down to those two. Uh, the problem with her compared to Biden, in my opinion, is Biden has more black support than than i think she does just because biden was the vice president to obama but uh obama i don't think he's came out and strongly supported biden yet i mean i feel like if if he does if he did that then i think this would be a wrap right yeah i haven't heard of obama supporting anybody yet i think he is waiting so he's kind of uh just playing it cool and, and waiting to see uh, you know, who ends up being in the top three, and then maybe then at that point he'll have to pick somebody. So, but yeah, I think if he threw his support 
either behind Biden or Warren, then I think that person would probably leap to the, you know, leap to the front significantly. Oh, yeah, because everyone still really likes Obama. Even people like me and you probably like Obama more now than we did before in relation to these candidates anyway. He's, he'd be the most moderate guy. Oh, yeah. No, he, Obama looks normal compared to these people. Right. So I can't, that's why I don't think he would support Warren. I don't know. You know, it's politics, who knows. But yeah, so that's what's happening. It looks like, it, it looks like it's probably going to be uh, coming up to soon more of a two person lead. And I don't even know when the next debate is, but it, it looks like, uh, and we know de Blasio dropped out, and I think Booker is going to probably drop out in the next week or two. And then some of the other, you know, like two percenters and lower would probably drop out as well because, I mean, they have to just keep spending more and more money and eventually either their backers just say, hey, give it up or, you know, they don't want to spend more time on like kind of a a useless effort. So uh, it'll probably turn to a top five, I guess, set of candidates pretty soon is my guess next couple of months. Right. And what's important for them is. Who can beat Trump? I don't really think any of them can, but that that's really what they need to be focusing on as far as the voters go. If the, Because they don't want Trump. They hate Trump. He's, he's completely evil and white supremacist, all that stuff. So who can take him on? And I don't see it being Biden. I don't know. I feel like someone new has to come in. Like I said before, I think like Michelle Obama has to come in if they really want a shot. But I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, she would have... I, I think a lot of support, but I, I just, at this point, it kind of seems, it, it feels like it's kind of late. I think there's a, maybe probably a chance Michelle might do it next time, or she might just be out of politics completely. I mean, they just bought yeah. like a $14 million beachfront property house, so, you know, why get into politics again? I don't know. Do you know what the perspective of some of our many liberal and Democrat listeners are do they do they think that trump is going to be taken down or are they kind of do they see reality where it's like man this i don't think anybody's going to take him down to be honest no i have not asked them so i i guess it would be kind of interesting to see what they think but i don't, I don't know if a lot of them really follow it that closely so and in, in part of what i wanted to do with this podcast too i did want to make a distinction that when, when I talk, and I think the same for you, when we talk about the left, I mean, we're talking about the political left, the activists, you know, those talking heads on TV, not really not your average liberal or Democrat who is like in favor of Clinton or Obama. So, I mean, not passing judgment on those presidents right now in this podcast, but I know there are people on the left who listen to this podcast who really would not go as far as many of these leftist activists, Right. In fact, I think most people probably just don't care much about politics and only maybe pay attention to about a few months' worth of news, maybe leading up to the big elections. But, you know, the talking heads on TV, they really Mm. need something to be outraged about every day. They are, I mean, they're literally many times just like making things up or using hyperbole all day long to try to get more eyes on the screens. And because, I mean, that's what sells ads for them. Yeah, you know, it's a great example of that is the latest Kavanaugh story. Oh, yeah, we got to get into that. You want me to start us off? Yeah, go ahead. I think it's fun. Okay, so let me see. You got this uh, New York Times article that was just out, 
And as you probably remember, and so I can remind the listeners that you got the, uh, they were the Judge Kavanaugh hearings that were quite a spectacle. And to me, for those hearings, the underlying issue behind all that was pretty much a fight for power. Like, who is going to be in control of the Supreme Court? And that mm-hmm. was a, a pretty ugly display, if you remember. Super and, ugly. Yeah. And, and now, it, like, if we speak in, like, a broad brushstroke of what's considered the left and what's considered the right, it, it seems like where the, the right or when the right loses power, I mean, they bitch and moan a little bit, but when the left loses power, they go apoplectic. And I think this is because leftist ideology is so based on power. I mean, it's based on being able to tell people what to do and how to think and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I mean, it's really based on authority. Right. I found the whole Kavanaugh thing to be one of the most disgusting things that I've witnessed. And I don't know, maybe, maybe if you are on the left, you thought it was all legitimate. I don't really know how you could with... What's, there was no corroborating evidence for anything. But can you get into the, the new allegation? It was from a book, right, that was um, these journalists of the New York Times opinion section wrote, and they wrote an article also about one of the stories in the book. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I just want to get into the back to the power thing, and then I'll lead, we'll lead us into the— uh... Right. Sorry, sorry for cutting you off. No, it's okay. This is good stuff. Okay, so— Again, I'm trying to connect leftism with power, right? And one of the yeah. reasons I think I can say this is a true association is that the idea of secession doesn't necessarily appeal to a lot of leftists. You know, otherwise maybe the secessionist movement in California would have been much stronger, right, under Trump. You know, many of those on the left just don't believe in live and let live or, you know, for you to go your way, we'll go our way. It doesn't seem like that's what their game is about. It's about, no, everybody has to live our way. You can use, the, I guess, the transgender issue as an example as well. It's not, about, it's not about the right to have gender reassignment surgery. Of course, I think people on the right would say, yeah, go ahead and have the surgery if you want. It's about the left trying to force people to recognize that that's now a woman. And you have to think that way, otherwise we're going to destroy you. And apparently nowadays, I guess all you have to do is just identify as a different sex, and that's good enough for people on the left, right? Just one day wake up and be like, hey, I feel like a woman, and now everybody has to say I'm a woman, despite the fact that I still look like a man, and I have all my man parts. Yeah, and then you get to set new records in weightlifting and track and field. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, we got to talk about that one day on the podcast, make it a, uh, I think there was there was a, a, a bill that was passed just by the House, the Equality Act, thank God that didn't make it to the Senate, but I think we can set that up for another day. But that's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting kind of where this, like, one side really just wants to control how the other side thinks. It, I mean, it's a window into their mindset where they kind of thrive off the power and the control. And you can see that, like, after Donald Trump got elected, I mean, this drove them completely bonkers. I mean, this is where you got the whole Trump derangement syndrome from. I mean, to them, it's probably, a, it feels like a total loss of control. And now, to, uh, to, I want to lead into the, the Judge Kavanaugh thing. The whole idea of appointing a Supreme Court judge, this is not a four- or eight-year presidential term. I mean, this is a lifetime appointment. 
and it's going to affect the country for many, many years. So this, to me, uh, I felt like the left was looking at this like a life-or-death battle, and they weren't pulling any punches. I mean, they were willing to make up stories uh, and lies and about someone and try to destroy them and their family and uh, just to try to retain that power. And, I mean, it looks like they were trying to use every kind of dirty trick in the book to get them. From our perspective, anyway, there's a ton of people who, who think it was all legitimate. But Okay, so just as a backdrop, I think the, the basic premise behind what happened with the hearings is like somebody 30 years ago came out and said something that he sexually assaulted someone, and now they want him to lose his job. I don't know. To me, it's like, I think reasonable people would be like, that might be a little bit too far because there's no proof and the victim doesn't even remember where it happened exactly and you know there are no witnesses that they could find and and the people or the people they did find they said it didn't happen yeah okay you're you're talking about the original one right yeah i mean she the the lady who who said she didn't know exactly where it was her best friend by the way said she didn't believe her there was there was no person that could confirm it right so that was that was christine ford right. and i guess to be more specific i think she said that he threw her down on a bed like 36 years ago. So I guess your initial reaction would be like, oh, well, it sucks. Where, uh, where did this happen? Eh, well, I'm not exactly sure. Okay, well, did anybody else see it? Well, there were three people there, but none of them can corroborate my story. So then I guess what are you supposed to do at that point? I mean, this is 36 years later. I mean, you, you can't definitively say it didn't happen, but there's absolutely no proof that it did happen and we know for sure that people especially on the left like to make stuff up all the time i mean look at that whole jesse smollett incident we covered remember we did like three or four podcasts on the uh, uh fake hate crime hoax that he you know perpetrated so anyway it, this isn't just like a he said she said incident from a few months ago that was 36 years ago and i guess now i can get into the new york times piece Anyways, New York Times ran this article, and it's supposed to be this new uh, Kavanaugh incident that emerged, right? And it spread mm-hmm. like wildfire. I mean, it went viral, like like herpes at a swingers convention. So viral that immediately all the presidential candidates were, you know, wanting his, um, what do you call it? Is it, you call it impeachment for Kavanaugh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what's still called impeachment. Yeah, so they were all calling for that immediately after it. I mean, every media outlet was covering it one way or another. And so before you actually like get into the details, you might even think, oh, shit, a new accusation. This might turn out to be real. And then immediately, kind of during this you know, viral media storm, like you said, all the Democrats are just saying impeach, impeach, impeach. And then you start to find out some of the details behind the accusation. So in the New York Times article, supposedly there's this guy who heard some rumors that Kavanaugh committed some sort of assault back in college. And then there's these two women who wrote a book about Kavanaugh, and then there's this article in the Times that tries to sum up the book. So that's the whole idea. The the New York Times is doing like a, a book summary for the release of this book that these two women wrote. And people got some pre-released copies of the book, and then everybody's reading it, and that's, I think that's where these things come from, right? But in the article, you find out that some huge pieces of information are left out of the article, right? 
One big piece is that the woman, this alleged victim, is not even claiming that any of this happened. She's saying that she has no memory of this happening at any time. And the New York Times just kind of omits that from the article. Yeah, obviously that's that should be the biggest part of the story, or one of the biggest, one of the central parts of it. I, I mean, to me, I mean, any, I guess, journalistic uh, a person with uh, integrity, right? Any like editor would be like, uh, we can't print this, right? What do you, I mean, is this, the victim says that she's not a victim. So how can we <laughs> come out and just be like, hey, some other guy that you happen to be there or heard a story says that she is a victim. Anyway, I mean, for that not to be in the article, I mean, that's like a clear cut case of like lying by omission. And, and that's not a small detail. I think additionally, so, I mean, some other information came out that uh, the guy making this allegation, he happened to be a lawyer, uh, or he is a lawyer, and he worked for Bill Clinton during the whole Clinton impeachment, right? And that's at the same time when Judge Kavanaugh was working, I guess, with Kenneth Starr's team. So, like, where is this guy's credibility? I mean, do we not think there could be some partisan politics going on here? Right. And the, the book, I think, actually referred to that lawyer as a nonpartisan attorney. Nonpartisan attorney who happened to be the attorney for Bill Clinton. Okay. In general, to me, when they come out and they say they're nonpartisan, or you talk about the nonpartisan CBO and or nonpartisan Fed, I I think it's I don't believe any of it. I think everybody's partisan. So anyway, I guess since yeah. since then, I mean, New York Times has issued an apology, right, for the article. But I, I guess at this point, like, what do you say? about the editors at the New York Times? I mean, was this some sort of incompetence or negligence, or do you think it was intentional? Well, I think normally you would consider this very bad journalism, wouldn't you? But the thing is, the thing is, it wasn't bad journalism because it was intentional. I mean, that's the truth. There's no way yeah, this would have been missed. It was, this is intentional. You know what the article does mention, too, though? It didn't omit this part, that that there wasn't any confirmed witnesses that Kavanaugh was even there. So no one confirmed that he was even there at, at this at this party where it happened in, in the first place. The the alleged victim says she doesn't even remember that it happened. This New York Times story, when it came out, it, it also prompted other editorials from the Washington Post and the New York Times itself about how the original FBI investigation was a sham because they didn't include this story. I mean, so you had you had basically fake news creating fake news. So it, this this whole story was a complete non-story that was just dredged up to make more fake Kavanaugh crap happen. It spawns additional pieces complaining that the FBI wouldn't investigate uh, this back when they did their investigation. Uh, but in, investigate what? An allegation that has no ale a real alleged victim at all? It, yeah, like I said, it's it was fake news that created subsequent fake news. That And, that, and every, like I said earlier, every single presidential candidate was calling for Kavanaugh to be impeached when the first thing came out. It was like, that's the loudest part you heard was, oh, Kavanaugh, you know, d more, you know, allegations. And that, that was the part that, that was really, like you said, went viral. I don't even think the, the New York Times mess up went really that viral. It was, it was the original piece. Does anyone find it like embarrassing that, that this stuff happens and, and that the Democrats over the last few years and stuff don't care about due process at all? I'm not too sure they care. I mean, I, I kind of think they are really good at just uh, living with a double standard. I mean, either way, I guess one way or another for the New York Times, it just doesn't look good, right? Either you were very 
negligent or incompetent or you were intentional. I mean, I think if you were intentional about omitting it, that, that even looks better than being that incompetent. I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, this type of journalistic malpractice, this really rises to, uh, I guess, a level I haven't seen in a while, at least maybe since last year. Anyway, I, I guess, and I'm trying to be unbiased here because I'm really not that much of a fan of Kavanaugh. I, I would have preferred if Trump would have picked like more of a constitutionally aware judge. And I mean, one of the reasons I didn't like Kavanaugh that much was because I think he was one of the guys involved with uh, the Patriot Act or, or getting that passed or writing it. And you probably remember the Patriot Act passed like after 9-11, which basically kind of removes your Fourth Amendment protection from the Constitution and then eventually allowed the government to spy on everyone and collect all your emails and your text messages and your phone calls without a warrant. I mean, that was the whole point of why Snowden was in so much trouble, right? Because he revealed all that. I mean, the Patriot Act was just another example of how government kind of uses war or some sort of crisis in order to kind of exert more control over you, take away more and more of your rights. It's kind of very similar to gun control, right? When you get this a new mass shooting and then you know the same day or the next day you get a whole bunch of people going out there calling for more gun laws or banning guns or something. Yeah, so you didn't even care for Kavanaugh in the first place. No, I, I thought he could have picked, like I, I liked Gorsuch uh, much better as a uh, Supreme Court pick, but Kavanaugh, I was, I was kind of hoping that he would withdraw with all the heat that was on him, and then Trump would have had to appoint somebody else, but he made it, so he's there now. But I, I don't think he was a sexual predator, so that, that was, a, you know, I kind of thought was very unfair and disgusting. You would classify it as fake news, wouldn't you? Definitely. Definitely fake news. Do, do, the, do people start understanding why we're, why we're calling this kind of stuff fake news? I mean, I just can't get over it. I mean... We've, you know, we've heard from all these left-leaning mainstream news outlets for, you know, two years plus on on Trump collusion with Russia that, you know, that he's going to be a puppet to Putin was really in the news cycle for two years, right? And we're four years in now, and is Trump being a a, a puppet to Putin? Has it happened? Are are any, you know, of the Democrat listeners listening right now? Well, are they at least willing to admit? Are they willing to question that those two years? were legitimately fake news. One of my things is I kind of think that a lot of people sorely heavily weigh Trump's rhetoric over over his actions in regards to, sorry, I'm getting into Russia now, but over over his uh, actions with Russia. Are Democrat listeners maybe uh, at least willing to look back and say, hey man, those, those two years of uh, Russian collusion and Trump puppets of Putin was, was fake news at all? One of the things is I suspect that Democrats sort of heavily weigh Trump's rhetoric over his actions. Ideally, you'd want the U.S. president to have good rhetoric and good actions, right? But if you were to choose one to be decent, to me, it's obviously his actions, right? Which hasn't really been making the news cycle. You know, one thing is we're leveraging new sanctions on Russia recently because we put new sanctions on them for a nerve agent attack on a former Russian spy who's on British soil. And then that, that's just um, recently on top of the fact that we withdrew from the INF Treaty. Do you remember hearing about that? I mean, we were in the INF Treaty, and for years Russia was, was not really obeying the dismantling of, of nukes and ballistic missiles and, under Obama. And Trump gets in, looks at it, and he's supposed to be a, a 
puppet to Putin, but he looks and, and he calls them out for, for not obeying this treaty and says, well, we're leaving if you don't do it. And we've bolstered our military position in Eastern Europe to push back against Russian military threat in that region. I mean, he's armed the people of Ukraine within like the first year, I think, uh, of becoming a president. He's armed the people of Ukraine with deadly weapons, which which Obama wouldn't do. Uh, it was it was under Obama's term that Crimea was annexed by Russia. And I think in for, in Trump's first year, he sanctioned an attack on Russian soldiers in Syria that killed 200 Russian soldiers. I mean, my point is, he his actions has been he's been more tough on Russia, way more tough on Russia than Obama was. But none of this stuff's ever in the news. It's just years and years, uh, news cycle after news cycle about how he's a, he's a puppet of Putin. You know what I mean? I mean, this is this is fake news. I'm just wondering, is anybody able, uh, really looking and saying, hey, you know, maybe they were kind of faking it? Uh, I don't think he's going to get a fair shake with 95% of the media ever. So um, I, I'm not going to push back now on the Ukraine and Crimea stuff. Uh, that We could probably save that for another uh, podcast. But yeah, I think it, it's funny that you mentioned Trump's rhetoric versus actions because I think the, the left really concentrates way too much on his rhetoric, and, and I think he knows it. And mm. I, I happen to believe and that maybe, and I'm just, obviously this is a guess, that 95% of his rhetoric and all the stuff he tweets about is just to push their buttons, and maybe 5% he's kind of serious about. Because mm-hmm. he knows he can get to them. He knows with one tweet, he can make them just go crazy on the news all day long. And they'll talk about that one tweet all day. So I guess there's another story we can talk about with Donald Trump uh, and Joe Biden and the Ukraine, since you were talking about the Ukraine. So from what I gathered so far, it looks like some sort of whistleblower has come forward and said that Donald Trump was on the phone with Ukrainian president and said some inappropriate things. Now, what this mm-hmm. person is saying has not been released. The whistleblower, you know, his identity is not being released. But this, again, becomes another one of those supposed, I guess, scandals that Trump is being asked about. And it's kind of funny. What he was asked about it, and he came out and he said, I know there's like a million of you people listening when I'm on these phone calls. I'm not dumb enough to say anything stupid. So... Mm-hmm. That it sounds like there's no real story here, or or certainly there's no evidence yet. I mean, perhaps they're building a story, but the media, once again, just ran with it like it was already a huge story. I mean, there's some underlying issues here with Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who was some sort of top dog in like the largest Ukrainian natural gas company. Uh, I think a position he got while Joe Biden was vice president and Obama was interfering in all like the Ukrainian politics. So, I mean, it's the same Hunter Biden who was kicked out of the Navy for cocaine. So supposedly some top prosecutor was investigating Joe Biden's son and then Joe Biden had that squelched. I mean, who knows if any of that's true? I mean, it sounds like it might be true, but none of the media is talking about that. There's the story for them is that there's some sort of whistleblower who overheard Trump saying some inappropriate things to the president of Ukraine? I mean, regarding the Biden and his son thing, and getting the uh, some prosecutor or investigator fired, I think that definitely was true because he seemed like he admitted it himself, right? That was like a year ago thing, where he was bragging to some foreign policy like uh, 
specialists, like some talk about how he got the Ukraine investigator uh, that was investigating Biden's son's company fired by saying he wasn't going to loan them the uh, billion dollars from the U.S. The U.S. was doing a billion dollar loan to to Ukraine. They said uh, so he was bragging. I mean, it was from his own words. He said, I, I have uh, six hours until I'm out of here and you're not getting that money if, if you don't fire the guy. So, I mean, it's right from his mouth. That it sounds exactly like something Biden would brag about. That he would, yeah. nobody else would. But I think you know Biden being the uh, the gaff master. I think that's something he would actually do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the weird thing about it all is, the Joe Biden's son got this position at the same time that Obama gave Biden the the task of of heading the you know their policy with Ukraine. So he gets that task, and then all of a sudden, Joe Biden's son becomes some board of directors on a, a natural gas company in Ukraine, he, and he has no experience with anything regarding natural gas or, or anything like that in the energy sector. And he was getting paid like the reports are a little bit all over the place, but they're in the range of fifty thousand to one hundred and like eighty-eight thousand a month, and that was part of the reason why they were being investigated. There was like there was. Suspicion of corruption in this company uh, with its board and where these uh, payments are, are coming are going to and, and why. And specifically, uh, also around Biden's son himself. That was like a, a big topic of the, of the uh, investigation from what I read. Come on, Joey. Uh, it's completely coincidental that uh, Hunter Biden's dad was the vice president of the United States, right? Well, do you have anything else on that? Because I want to talk about something else as well in this show. Um, no, I really don't have anything else on that. Just a funny thing that came to light because even though it was a year old, it came to light recently because of, um, of the, what happened to Trump on that whistleblower thing. Well, we'll, we'll definitely pay attention to that and see where that goes. It's funny how certain stories get elevated, right? And there are plenty of other major stories that just refuse to get covered by the media. For instance, Apparently, the United States had another drone strike in Afghanistan, which killed 30 people. So you might think, great, wow, we just took out 30 more Taliban. Well, not so much. It looks like the U.S. killed another 30 farmers. So I found an article buried in Reuters saying that U.S. drone strike kills 30 pine nut farmers. So how does this not make it into the headlines ahead of all these political battles and these non-stories. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? The, the real news gets buried, and the political battles for power make the headlines, whether they're true or not. Eyeballs on screens, selling time to advertisers, political agendas are always the top stories throughout the media, and the real news gets buried or perhaps not covered at all. So, I, so 40 farmers were killed is what you're reading, right? 30 killed, 40 injured. I guess some people would call it collateral damage. I mean, I think other people would call it an act of terrorism. I mean, wouldn't they? Like, so think of it as this way. Like, if Iran had done this to Saudi Arabia or Israel, I mean, they would get bombed into oblivion the next day. So it's amazing to me that the United States continues to operate under the guise that we are the good guys and if we kill a bunch of innocent civilians, well, then that's okay because we were going after the terrorists. Mm. Imagine most of your family's at a park having a picnic or a barbecue, and a criminal just happens to run by and hide, like, you know, next to the party. And then all of a sudden a bomb goes off, 
and kills everyone. I mean, why does the United States think it's okay to keep making these mistakes or treating human life like it's nothing? I mean, somewhere, uh, someone somewhere is making this decision, right, to murder a whole bunch of innocent people when they're potentially going after bad guys, right? I mean, how do they justify that? So in order to keep this going, Joey, I got a, I got a math question for you. You ready? Okay. All right. What's 10 minus 2? 8. Okay. So I'm going to correct you there. I'm going to say it's 20. And why do I think that? I think it was, it was something General McChrystal said once that when you're going after these guys and you take out a bunch of innocent people and you're thinking, great, we killed two terrorists. But no, you actually just created like another 20 terrorists. So that, that's where you get the 10 minus 2 equals 20, right? Because you killed maybe a bunch of kids or the whole family, and now their relatives are all joining the resistance and they're willing to pick up arms and go kill Americans. I mean, it's basic blowback 101. I mean, how many new fighters do you think were created, you know, when these 30 people were killed and 40 were injured? I mean, probably hundreds. So, I mean, it's common sense would tell you that you're probably not going to improve the situation by dropping a bunch of bombs on innocent people. And on top of all this, we lost another two military servicemen in Afghanistan in the past week. So, I mean, why are we still doing this? Why are we still in Afghanistan? I mean, is it because we just don't have the balls to admit that this is a no-win situation and then, you know, we don't want to make it look like we wasted all this blood and treasure? I mean, what do you think? Uh, I don't really know why we're there, to be honest. Well, that makes two of us. You don't know why we're there. I don't know why we're there. I think we should bring our troops home from Afghanistan. I think Trump would benefit immensely in his 2020 re-election if he got us out of the longest war in U.S. history. Many of those really smart general types have already come out and said it's a no-win situation. So who are we to question that? If you don't know what winning looks like, and there's really nothing else militarily to achieve other than to try to build up a country that has, I don't know if they're, you would classify them as in the Stone Ages or something, but they're certainly not a modern country. It's just not what we should be doing. It's not something our military is capable of doing, right? We can trade with them and for whatever they give us, and who knows, they probably have a lot of minerals in the ground. We can do mining there. We can give them all sorts of modern products and they will just modernize over time. And that sounds like a good and peaceful way to help change that country. But for us to try to do it forcefully is a mistake. And it's never worked before, so we have to have some sort of serious bravado on our end to really think that we can do it. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. 